Hey, so we're going to do something a little different. Um, Our text is in Genesis 13, verses 1 through 4, and it's going to be up on the screen, but we're going to... Uh, we're going to start with uh, Genesis 12 because I make passing reference to that as well. So if you didn't bring your Bible, that's all right. Just listen. But then the 13, 1 through 4, we'll, when we get there, we'll end up on the screen, okay? So... So this is basically background. Got to know Genesis 12 to really dig into uh, chapter 13, the first four verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Sarai, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, 
and all that he had, and Lot, with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was rich, very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Now, Abram's life and walk with God is amazingly descriptive and instructive for our lives today, especially as we begin the year 2019. I mean, can you even say that and not be, whoa, what is happening? As this patriarch's journey of faith really some 3,500 years ago unfolds in the book of Genesis, we really discover, when you really take the time to study, discover some incredible gems of truth that, when taken to heart, will guide us as we walk with the Lord here in the 21st century. Now, in previous chapters, we see, as we've read, God graciously summoning Abram of the Mesopotamia area, Ur the Chaldees. And like Abram, we too, the bottom line is, we too have been summoned by our God. Abram's simple yet decisive obedience to that summons to place his personal faith in the living God is really a huge example to us. So much was unknown to Abram. That's a message in and of itself. Incredible unknowns to Abram. But he dared to believe God. We are being asked to do the same. Have we dared to respond to God's summons on our lives? To believe God. To place our faith in God's plan and will for our lives? Have we decided to become citizens of his kingdom? Have we decided to be a Christian? Decisively deciding to trust Jesus, God's provision for our sin. Have we decisively decided to become a follower of Jesus with that simple decision to surrender and willingly serve him with every breath that we take. Now, as we move into this new year, the honest answer to these questions is going to reveal a few things for you, for all of us. It's going to reveal whether we are children of God and thus our eternal destiny. In other words, if you die tomorrow... Man, guess what? You're going home. And it's based upon that decisive decision that you've made to trust in Jesus. Secondly, it will reveal whether we are master of our lives or whether God is. Now, Abram. Abram's recorded journey with God as well reminds us 
that for those of us who have heeded the call of God, and if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know this to be true, that we are often prone to wander from that call, especially in the face of crisis. Abram, along with his sweetheart, beautiful sweetheart, by the way, Sarai, had their share of wanderings and failings. Maybe that's why I'm drawn to uh, these kinds of stories. And as we just read, a doozy of a one shows up in chapter 12. As Abram does, which we're not going to spend time talking about, he does the unthinkable in Egypt. I encourage you to read it over and over. We, like Abram, find ourselves at times striking out, which is what Abram did, striking out on our own. You might say in our own land of Egypt, forgetting all that has been promised us. And that really was the bottom line for Abram. He simply forgot. Trying in our own wisdom and strength to fix our lives independent of the very God who alone can fix us. All right, man, I hate these things. And experience for many of us shows that, that such a tendency just messes up our life complicates our relationships and grieves the heart of God. And, it, and, and, and the bottom line is that it cheats us of the true joy and peace, the abundant life that Jesus promised to give us. Thus the challenge for us, as it was for Abram and Sarai, is a consistent focus. I hope you, you know, if you have, have a New Year's resolution, this would be a good one. To have a consistent focus on and a regular taking to heart the promises that God has made us as they're recorded in the inspired word. And so the journey of Abram's faith continues to unfold before us. Now Abram, for as Abram wanders from far from his God in chapter 12, we see in these four verses in chapter 13 that like the prodigal son, he too returns to his father, to his God. He comes home and again chooses to live a life of trust and obedience to the call on his life. Now, unlike some of us, it appears, though the text is, at least it seems in the flow of the text, it appears as if Abram's wandering doesn't doesn't last too long, which, which I'm convinced is a mark of growing spiritual maturity. It's not so much that we will wander, or if we will wander, because you're going to wander. You're going to try to strike out on your own, to go it alone. We're all prone to this, but wise is the Christian who learns to quickly and honestly and with humility yield to the conviction that he or she is under. And it's humility that I'm convinced Abram is leaving Egypt with. I mean, you can't help but imagine that. 
I mean, and it really is it a virtue that God requires of each who would approach him. Humility, in part, means that we face and own up to our sin, our rebellious tendency to go it alone, to not believe him. God, it seems, is compelling Abram to do just that. The Lord rebukes Abram, as we see in chapter 12, this man of great faith. He rebukes him for his rebellion and his deception. And he does it through an unbelieving, unbelieving pagan. That, in and of itself, is a message. The Pharaoh of Egypt. This must have been incredibly embarrassing. Have you ever been called on the carpet by somebody uh, that's not a Christian for something that where you have obviously uh, have fallen short? I have. And it, and it probably will happen to you. God often uses the non-Christian community around us to expose our failings and our wanderings. It's incredibly embarrassing uh, when we're hypocritical, when we fall short in our, what is supposed to be Christ-like behavior. It's amazing how the non-Christian community has a real sense of when we come up short. <laughs> it's amazing. They sometimes seem to know more about what it means to be Christ-like than we do. If you haven't noticed, you soon will, um, how the unbelieving community seems to watch us like a hawk. Have you ever considered whether they just might be God's vessel through whom he means to compel us to face our rebellion and come home? It should break our hearts that God would have to go to such lengths to woo us back. And yes, we... We should grieve over the damage, often seemingly irreparable, it seems we do to the cause of Christ in our community, the neighborhood, and our families. But we should be grateful that our God has not abandoned us and that he would go to such lengths to call us home. So Abram, in great shame before the Pharaoh, as we read, the, before the Pharaoh, the community, no doubt, his family, his wife. I mean, just go there for a minute. Oh, man, my mind can't even wrap itself around that. And especially his God. He leaves Egypt and he travels back into the land of promise, which is Canaan, and he pitches his tent in the north, as it says, between these two towns, Bethel and Ai. Now, as we read, and you'll remember, Abram's been here before. And based upon the flow of the narrative, Bethel just happens to be the last place where Abram had reaffirmed his decision to trust his God and embrace his revealed will. Think about that. He did this by building an altar. Now, this was the second time recorded for us of Abram building an altar, and it won't be the last. 
That's significant. Back then, altars were generally built, usually of stones, when one wanted to formally approach God with worship. On the altar, an offensive, horrible animal sacrifice was usually offered with the understanding of that timeless truth that in order to even begin to approach the most sovereign and holy creator, the worshiper's sin needed offensive sin before God had to be dealt with, had to be atoned for, paid for, forgiven. Now in the fullness of time, and we know the story, don't we? Jesus Christ, God's only sin, became the final and perfect atoning sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. And thus graciously and lovingly giving each who would come by faith personal, complete, instant, eternal access into God's holy presence. So today we approach God not through animal sacrifices, but through the person and work of Jesus. But as well, the altars back then for the patriarchs was often a symbol of some notable encounter with or a decisive decision before God. And this is what Abram's altar at Bethel was. It was at Bethel that Abram had last humbly surrendered his life before God. It was there that he had last been, it seems, it's not too far-fetched to say, in sweet fellowship with his God. Now, why return to this place? Because it represented all that he knew was right, all that he knew was good and true. It we can say, I think safely, it represented all that he wanted, where he wanted to be, what he was called to do, and the simple, it represented the simple, decisive decision to heed God's summons on his life. So, Instead of Abram continuing in this wandering state or going it alone, rebelliously ignoring the conviction, he humbly faces his mistakes, his sin, and once again, as the text says, he called on the name of the Lord. That is, he returns to his God with confession on his lips seeking restoration of that fellowship with his Lord and once again affirms to live in obedience to the call of God. Similarly, if we count ourselves among the family of God, citizens of his kingdom, heirs, as his sons and daughters to his blessings, then we too, think about, follow me on this, we too likely have Bethels in our lives. This baby dedication will be a Bethel.
a place, an event in time in the past where we, like Abram in faith, significantly and decisively approached God and called on his name. These places for us are different. Could be a home, could be a church, could be the beach, could be a camp, could be a retreat, a stadium, a chapel, the mountains, a motel room, a hospital room, could be the desert, could even be a jail cell. It could even be a a special person, all of which in their own way have simply come to represent turning points in our lives where we made distinct, decisive decisions to surrender to our God, like Abram, and willingly embrace his will for our lives. They are moments of consecration. They are decisions of dedication. They are significant resolutions of sacrifices. They are final declarations of faith. Now these Bethels, as I'm calling them, represent the personal decision, again, to heed God's call, to trust in Jesus. It's where we decisively dared to believe God. Now, I'm one whose memory of of many things, especially as I get a little older, uh, throughout my life, often just seems to blur. But the Bethels in my life are as clear as if they happened yesterday. And I mean them in plural, because I have had several. Some, at least one, is way too personal for me to share. Um, But the day at age 15 in my bedroom on my bed, when I was surrounded by several friends when I decided to trust Jesus for the first time. And then uh, a year or two later, when I publicly proclaimed my loyalty to Jesus in the waters of baptism in the Colorado River, those were turning points in my life. Those were my Bethels. Those were my altars. They were times of tremendous joy, peace, and incredible zeal. They were the beginning of what would forever change my life. And today, as I look back, they are some of the benchmarks, reference points, the altars of my life that remind me of who I am and why I'm here. They call attention to whom I've decided, who I've dedicated my life to, that my loyalty and devotion have been singled out for my God and my King. 
And I'm exceedingly grateful for these Bethels, particularly since I am so prone to wander. Now, when I wander, the conviction of my heart by God's Spirit is such that I often find myself returning to these these places in my heart, reliving the moments in the past, but reliving them in the present with confession on of my stubbornness, my stupidity, and a reaffirmation and a renewed resolve to live in obedience to the call of God in my life. That's the beauty of, of these altars. Then and only then does it seem the joy of my salvation returns. I want to be, take a step of boldness, that is. I hope you give me the liberty to be so bold as to suggest that some of us here, maybe you have wandered long and far from the Bethels in your lives. As you start this new year, as you look back over The previous year, I say to you like Abram, it's time to return. It's the bottom line. With humble confession on your lips, it's time like Abram to once again call upon the name of the Lord. It's time to come home. It's time to renew your devotion, set aside your pride, acknowledge and admit your wanderings, your rebellion. That's the first step, which sometimes seems to be the hardest step because it requires humility where once again you can walk in his joy and sweet fellowship. Listen to the summons of our Lord in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, as he pleads with his people, his children at Ephesus, and thus us as well. He says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent. Repent. And do the deeds that you did at first. Simply put, come home. Come home. Return to Bethel. Listen as well to the message of Revelation chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3 to the church at Sardis. And again, the message is to us. I know your deeds completed in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. That is, for some of us, it's time to return to the Bethels. And I would say to the commitments of the past as you start the new year, 2000. 19 and cease from wandering 
But you might be here this morning and you say, Dave, uh, my, my memory is pretty fuzzy of any past Bethels. Matter of fact, you might, you might have absolutely no recollection of some time in your life uh, where you have decisively decided to follow Jesus. But you do know that there was some time in the past that you made a decision to believe in Jesus. Now, this happens a lot for those of us, I can't say us, my children did, but I didn't, um, those who have grown up in a Christian home and became a Christian as a young child or were baptized early in life. Well, for you, I would simply remind you that Abram built more than one altar. (laughs) And there's nothing to be ashamed of in terms of once again, affirming and reaffirming what it is you believe and who it is you believe in. So if you're wandering, particularly if you're wandering in your walk with the Lord, I challenge you to simply build another altar in your life. Why not? Another benchmark, a significant reference point where you will always remember how you again decisively laid it all on the line for Christ. Now, there are a thousand ways that that could happen. And that's between you and the Lord. Again, it could be at church. It could be at a camp. I know of somebody who just came back from a a trip as a young person in Mexico That, I guarantee you, became their Bethel. Decisive decisions were made. Could be in a foxhole on a surgery table. Again, a jail cell on the beach in the mountains, on your knees, in your living room. It doesn't matter. It could be during communion. It could be a rebaptism. Or a simple prayer with a friend or a pastor. It matters little where or how, only that you genuinely and decisively renew and reaffirm your faith in your God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I challenge you as you begin this year to consider that. Only that you are unashamedly identifying yourself as a child and follower of the living God. Only that you humbly with repentance lay it all on the line. And once again, like Abram, call upon the name of the Lord. Build that altar. Some of us, though, don't have any memory of a Bethel or an altar to return to because there is none. No decisive decision has ever been made to believe in and to surrender to the Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, your need is is obvious, if I could humbly say so. 
you must decide once and for all whether you believe that Jesus Christ is God's only solution to your deepest need. My challenge to you is be reconciled to him. Build that altar. Make that decisive decision once and for all as you begin this new year that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe even today. Maybe this morning. This becomes your Bethel where you build your altar and you sacrificially place your life on it. Declaring before God that from this day forward you are His. In the 90s, there was a there was a particular low point in uh, we were in Broadus, particular low point in my life, um, and I won't go into the details of it. But the bottom line was, I was just faced with the conviction that my life was was really mediocre, you might say. It's the best word I can, I can come up with in terms of my walk with Jesus. And I needed an altar. I needed to build an altar. I needed to make a decision. It just, it just everything came to a head and I knew it. I knew that I needed to make a choice. And I ran across something that, and it's just like the Lord to put something in your lap that, that you cannot um, articulate yourself, um, that you find something that puts it in words that simply speaks for you. And I ran across what was called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And it was written by Pastor Bob Moorhead. And I don't know this pastor. Couldn't even find anything about him when I found this. But he, he basically, he obviously had come to a point in his life where a decision was being made. He built an altar. This was his Bethel. And it became mine as well. And let me read it to you. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. He said, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look up, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, same visions mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, 
prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, labor by power, my pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up or shut up until I preached up, prayed up, stored up, and stayed up the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem... recognizing me because my colors will be clear. I signed that, dated it, and I didn't bring my study Bible, but I stick it. I stuck it on the first page. At least in the 90s, that was my Bethel. And I'm not going to say that I haven't wandered since, because I have. But I can't tell you how many times I've returned this. To remember. To once again be reminded of who I am. And to dedicate myself once again to live consistent with that altar that I built. And again, not the only altar. So I challenge you, don't go, don't allow too much time in this new year to pass before you build your altar. Don't do it. doesn't matter how you do it, but do it. What do you have to lose? What do you have to gain? Let's pray. As I pray, let me share the words of the Lord Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 especially to all who are wandering, Christian and non-Christian alike, hear the promise of the Lord Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door, I will come into him and will fellowship with him and he with me. Father, I pray now in the power of your spirit that this invitation will sink deep into our hearts, into our very beings, so much so that we cannot ignore it, that we must respond to it. We must accept. We can do no other. I pray that you would make that so, however that looks for each of us. We just thank you for your love. How you persistently pursue us. Amazing. Amazing love you have for us. Thank you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.